When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. I'm Stephanie Safarian, and this is episode 83. You are listening to the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast, a show about living simply and sustainably with your family. Here's your host, Stephanie Safarian. Hello there and welcome back. It is 2019. Americans today own twice as many cars, live in double the size homes, and have twice as much credit card debt today than they did in 1965. We also suffer from higher levels of depression and unhappiness. Have you ever wondered why we in the Western world continue to buy and buy and buy, despite the fact that it has been proven that our purchases do not make us happy, send us into debt, and destroy our planet's most precious resources? Well, I wonder about this a lot, actually, and it's exactly this that we're uncovering today. On today's show, we are discussing four reasons why, in the year 2019, Americans continue to buy stuff we don't need. And interestingly enough, in order to comprehensively answer this complex question, I'm taking you back. I'm taking you way, way back because the answer to this very complex question in part lies in our history. So on today's show, we're going to travel through time, so to speak. We start way back at our caveman days. Then we're moving up to the 18th century then to the dawn of television in the 1950s and 60s, and finally we end in the modern-day 21st century Western world. Now, a quick note here. I'm just giving you four reasons why we buy things we don't need, but there are many, many factors at play when answering this question, right? There are tons of individual reasons, for example, why some people are motivated to make unnecessary purchases over others. One person may be motivated by envy, while another may have an intense desire to fit in, so he buys to be like everybody else. We are not discussing these individual personality differences today. Instead, I'm outlining four theories, so to speak, that explain our buying behavior from evolutionary and behavioral perspectives. This week's show notes, you can find them at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 083. That's M-A-M-A-Minimalist.com forward slash 083. Buckle in. Let's get ready to roll. We start our discussion today way back when, and again, I mean way, way back when, about 30,000 BC to be exact. Reason number one why we buy things we don't need 
We're programmed in our biology to chase that shopping high. Our ancestors lived for hundreds of thousands of years with the fear of scarcity looming over their heads. And as a result, humans are predisposed to accumulate. Way back when our next meal was uncertain, when the next predator was around the corner, hoarding food and other necessary, keyword being necessary, goods, was vital to our survival. The problem is that for most of us these days, scarcity is no longer a real threat. But in essence, we're still acting like cavemen in our biology when it comes to our stuff. All species desire to survive, and so our brains, our human brains, encouraged accumulation during our days in caves with a reward system as a means of survival. So I'm sure you're wondering, what was the reward then and what is the reward now? Well, if you've ever felt a shopping high before, you know it to be true. It's a surge of dopamine every time we accumulate and consume stuff. Now, here's how our ancient reward system works in modern day. Picture this. You're at the mall. You see something you like. You definitely like it. You definitely want it. You go ahead and buy it. And shortly after, you get an instant shopping high which really, in essence, is just a boost of the endorphin dopamine that makes you feel really darn good. Now, a boost of dopamine, it may not sound so great, but it's powerful. And our ingrained reward system makes us want to repeat this buying behavior to get more and more hits of dopamine, even when buying goes against our financial best interests. Now, here's the real problem with this reward system in 2019. We live in a world where it's easy to buy what we want when we want it. This means that buying is less satisfying, right? We're not working to get that high. We can get it anytime we want. And in order to get that shopping high, aka the same dose of dopamine, we need to consume more and more and more. It's almost as though we become addicted to chasing that low-level shopping high, and it's ingrained in our biology to do so. And just a side note here, for anyone listening who has battled addiction or knows someone who has battled addiction, please know I am absolutely not trying to compare the shopping high to an addiction to drugs or alcohol or gambling, etc. Two totally different things. However, the science behind chasing those addictive behaviors is the same. Now, there is good news, of course. We are not slaves to our ancient reward system. And the good news is that the brain has neuroplasticity. Our brains can create new pathways and connections, which means we can rewire our reward system by practicing new habits. But we will touch on that later. All right, so we are leaving our cavemen days behind, and we are traveling far ahead on the history of humans all the way to 18th century France. It's 1765, to be precise, and enter philosopher Dennis Diderot. Reason number two why we buy more than we need is the Diderot effect. So let me paint a little picture for you. Dennis Diderot was a French philosopher who described himself as poor, but came into some money. He also came into a new robe, 
He was gifted a new robe. And it's not just any robe. It's a scarlet dressing gown of extremely high quality. Now, this dressing gown was unlike any of Diderot's other possessions. It was much finer, much nicer, much more luxurious. And at first, he was so pleased with this gift. Who wouldn't be, right? It's a red robe. Heck yes. A red dressing gown. We need to bring the dressing gowns back. Anyway, Dennis was thrilled. He loved the thing. But very soon after, this new possession somehow had a way of ruining all his older possessions for him. And that's because the fancy new scarlet dressing gown highlighted the drabbiness of his other things. So what did Dennis Diderot do? He bought new stuff to replace the drab stuff, of course. He replaced his old straw chair with one that was covered in fancy Moroccan leather. He replaced his old desk with this expensive new writing table. The prints that he actually loved and hung on his walls, well, he replaced them too with more expensive ones, and the list goes on and on and on. Dennis, years later, in writing about this phenomenon that he experienced, has this awesome quote, and he said, quote, I was absolute master of my old dressing gown, but I have become a slave to my new one. So what on earth is the Diderot effect in behavioral psychology? Well, it's essentially the idea that obtaining a new possession often creates in humans a spiral of consumption, which leads you and me to acquire more new things. As a result, we end up buying and buying and buying things that our previous selves would never have needed to feel happy or to feel fulfilled. Now, on a personal note, I felt the Diderot effect firsthand before ever even knowing or hearing about the Diderot effect. A few years ago, my husband and I, we decided to spruce up our downstairs powder room. And by the way, it really, really did need it. After the sprucing up was complete, though, our new and improved powder room felt much too nice for the rest of our outdated downstairs, right? It was almost too nice for the rest of the house. And so the urge that I felt to keep on renovating was quite strong. I wanted to repaint the downstairs. I wanted to rip out the 1960s wood paneling in the basement. You name it, I wanted to do it. We didn't do these things because of money, of course, but the Diderot effect was strong and in full force in my life. All right, so let's say goodbye to 1765 France and say hello to 1941 America. Television was invented in 1927, and the first television station began broadcasting in 1928. For the first 13 blissful years of its existence, TV remained commercial-free. But all that changed on July 1st, 1941, when the first commercial aired, By the way, if you play trivia, the first commercial that ever aired was for Belova watches. But anyway, July 1st, 1941, everything changed. Reason number three why we buy things we don't need. Advertisements are much more convincing than we think, and we are much more susceptible to the power of ads than we realize. Some estimates suggest that the average American in 2019 sees and hears an average of 
1,000 advertisements per day. Even the staunchest non-consumers among us are influenced by that 1.8 million ads seen each year, and that's because all of us subtly begin to adopt the messaging we see repeated over and over and over again in advertisements. Now, advertisers know what they're doing. They purposely play on our deepest desires and our biggest insecurities as they bombard us with messages telling us to buy, buy, and buy some more. There are so many sneaky little advertising techniques out there. I'm just going to give you one today that you may not have ever heard of, and that is perceived obsolescence. Now, you've probably heard of planned obsolescence before, right? I've talked about it on this podcast. That's the term used to describe when products are intentionally made to break so that you have no choice but to go buy another one. You're forced to be a constant consumer. Well, the sister of planned obsolescence is perceived obsolescence, and advertisers love this. It's the subtle messaging they use when they bombard us with advertising that suggests and sometimes flat out tells us that our stuff that we currently have isn't good enough, regardless of whether our stuff is currently in solid working order or not. We're told our stuff isn't good enough. It works, but it's not good enough. So what do we do? We go out and we buy new stuff to replace our perfectly good stuff. Examples of this are new clothes that are more in style than our current wardrobe, or buying an updated smartphone with cool new features and apps that the current one doesn't have. Further, advertisements play on our human nature to compare and to compete, right? So once upon a time, We consumed conspicuously because we wanted our neighbors, literally our neighbors on our block, to see what we had. And that's where the idea behind keeping up with the Joneses comes from. Because the Joneses live in your neighborhood, it's safe to assume that you and the Joneses are in roughly the same economic sphere, perhaps middle class. But these days, since the dawn of commercials way back in 1941, and thanks to the internet as well, Our reference frame for comparison and competition has expanded drastically because these days we are competing with affluence that is way outside our economic circle. We see in plain language on television how the wealthy live, and I'm looking at you, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, (laughs) because it's in our nature as humans to both compare and to compete, we essentially are buying things that we can't afford because we compare and to compete with the wealthy. All right, so here we are, the last stop on our journey through time to answer the question, why we buy things we don't need. It's right now, today, 2019. America's economic system, and really any capitalist society, right, relies entirely on growth. But growth depends on us buying more and more and more. Ordinary citizens are pressured to buy things we don't need with money we don't have. And this brings me to reason number four, why we buy things we don't need. It's the work-watch-spend cycle. Now, this is an idea by author Annie Leonard in her book, The Story of Stuff. I'll link to the book in the show notes for anyone interested. It's a fascinating read. Essentially, her idea is exactly as it sounds. It's 2019. And most of us go to work for at least eight hours a day, 
but probably more, more like nine or 10 hours a day. We come home, we're utterly exhausted, so we plop down in front of that television. Then we're bombarded with commercials that tell us we need new stuff, thank you, perceived obsolescence. So in our rare free time, what do we do? We go shopping for more stuff. Now here's the trick. In order to pay for all that stuff, we have to work even more. It's the work-watch-spend cycle. Now, the work-watch-spend cycle paints a pretty grim picture of modern-day life, doesn't it? When I first read about it, the first image that popped into my mind was the idea that we're all just cogs in this gigantic machine. We're automatons, really, without any freedom. We just do what capitalism tells us to do without a second's thought. Rough. Now, I am nothing if not an optimist, and I simply cannot end this episode on such a grim note. What I can do is give you four tips on how to stop buying things you don't need. The first one is to understand your brain's reward system. So remember way back in the Stone Age, we talked about our ingrained human reward system to seek that surge of dopamine by accumulating things. If you don't understand how that reward system works, it's hard to avoid the temptation of buying, buying, buying. But the good news is now you know how that reward system works so you can make changes. The brain makes new circuits in response to new habits. So by changing your habits, you can literally change your reward system. In time, you can find yourself getting that same surge of dopamine, that same reward by choosing not to buy or by choosing to declutter. Because of the wonder of neuroplasticity, we can change the behaviors that we are rewarded for. So that's number one. Understand your brain's reward system. You can check that off the list because now you know. Tip number two to stop buying things you don't need is to limit your exposure to stuff. You have nothing to do on a Saturday. Don't walk the mall for fun. Just don't do it. Limit your exposure. Unsubscribe from marketing emails, from catalogs, from companies you've bought from in the past. Don't just send it to your junk folder. Take the extra step and unsubscribe. Get rid of those catalogs that are coming into your mailbox by signing up for Catalog Choice, for example, and getting off those mailing lists. Watch less television. By watching less television, you will just simply be bombarded with fewer messages telling you to buy. Tip number three to stop buying things you don't need is to embark on a no-spend challenge. I did a whole episode on doing a no-spend challenge, and some of you even embarked on the challenge with me. It was episode number 49 for anybody who missed it and is interested. We talk about how to do a no-spend challenge, what you can buy, what you can't, why it's important, and why you should do it. I did a no-spend January at the start of 2019, and I'm very black and white, so if I tell myself I'm doing it, chances are real good I'm going to 
do it. <laughs> and I, my family did not buy anything frivolous or unnecessary in all of January. And we learned a lot. And what we learned, we took into February, even though we were technically not still on the challenge. It really put needs versus wants into perspective in a way that we had never really thought of before. And as a side bonus, we saved so much money in January after the holidays. It was lovely. Try a no spend challenge. Try a month of no frivolous spending. See how it goes for you. And I would love to hear how it goes. Report back. Finally, my fourth tip to end buying things you don't need, let go of wanting things. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that it's easier said than done, right? Of course it is. It takes time. It takes a lot of time, in fact, and it's going to take years. Maybe it even takes decades. I personally feel the process speeds up a bit when you allow yourself that time to do some real introspection. Do you really need that new car? Or do you want to sit behind the wheel of that fancy car for some reason or reasons that are deeper than mere transportation? Giving yourself the time to really think about it and be honest with yourself and be willing to do that tough work can speed up that process. Another way to let go of wanting things is to remind yourself time and time again that research finds that people who own a lot of stuff tend to be less happy. So happiness, it's the universal want, right? Everybody wants happiness. Everybody wants health too, but happiness. Everybody wants to be happy. Happiness is not ever found in things. So I will leave you with that thought, and I will remind you that this week's show notes are found at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 083. Everything we talk about today is written out for your reference. On next week's episode, we are getting into how changing your brand of underwear can change the world. I will see you then. Take care.